0: listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been, and
1: it
2: always will be.
3: Okay, welcome to uh, White Lion Fever. My name is Steve Mascord, and our first guest is a guy you heard from last week. It's uh, Keith Nelson from Buckcherry. Welcome back, Keith. Good to be back, Steve. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good, pretty good. Now, um, I wanted to ask you about this sort of... Um, how. Well, there's a few things I want to ask you about going back. I know we're talking about the new album, Rock and Roll, and we'll, we'll continue on that. But um, can, you, can you just tell the listeners about how Crazy Bitch changed your lives and changed the career of the band, what impact it had?
4: Well, the quality of woman that this band attracted shot up exponentially. I'll just say
5: that.
4: Uh, No, but seriously, um, you know, Crazy Bitch was a song that Josh and I had written before the first wave of the band really split up, you know. Um, He and I were still working on what we thought was going to be our third record. We wrote that song, we demoed it up, and then just kind of sat around for a few years because we went on a bit of a hiatus. And then when we got the band back together, Right before we went in to make the 15 record, I pulled the demo out and I go, let's just try this, see what happens. I don't know. People were saying, oh, the lyrics on that will never get played on the radio and it'll have to be censored. And we were like, yeah, let's just do it anyway. And we did it. And then um, miraculously, the radio stations all over the world started playing the song. We didn't even ask them to. A lot of people will know that when you release a single off of a record, you go and you get on your hands and knees and you beg radio stations to play it. But we didn't do that. Uh, we just, we were going to go with a different single and all these radio stations started playing that song. And the rest is kind of history. It just took off and hasn't stopped since.
3: And and when you, when you did the song Two Drugs to Fuck, was that kind of like trying to zero in on the same um, appeal, you know?
4: No, you know, um, Josh would always be telling stories about. Um, those crazy Southern California house parties that he used to get involved in when he was a when he was a young man, and um, you know, it's just a fun song to do. I, I I don't think that we were trying to follow in the footsteps of anything. We we're just having some fun, and we all thought the song was hilarious. Yeah, yeah.
3: So, have you ever actually gone to the studio and sort of tried to concoct a single or a novelty single, or has it always just been something that's been a byproduct and come come later?
4: I mean, it's always come naturally. You know, there was a time after we made our first record and we had a lot of success with the song called Lit Up. Mm. <clears throat> and the the suits from the record label would were calling me up and saying, you got to write another Lit Up. You have to write another Lit Up. And that really fucks with your head as a, as a, as a songwriter. It's like, mm. you know, I was new to the game and I didn't really understand how it all worked. And, um, and so it was very frustrating. <clears throat> and after that, um, we just resigned to the fact that, you know what, we're just going to make the best record that we can. And if there's if you feel like there's a single on it, great. And if you don't think there's one, we'll just keep writing songs. But I'm not going to chase my history. Fuck that.
6: Yeah, yeah.
3: So there's less of that now because you've got your own record company, right? Or do you still have people who are kind of tapping you on the shoulder and giving you advice and, and stuff like that? Is that what a... You know
4: you more independent. I you think what done? it comes down to Yeah, there's there's none of that anymore Josh and I are tapping each other on the shoulder <laughs> um, But you know We really share So much of the same idea Of the way things should be That there isn't really a lot of drama around it You know, we know what we like We know what we want to hear mm. And uh, there you have it
3: Yeah, yeah And tell us now In the intervening break between the last album and this one You put out a line of sex toys What What's the story there?
4: We're just trying to fill a void in the market. <laughs> I think you've used I mean, that line before. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Crazy Bitch has become uh, its own standalone thing. You know, a lot of people know the song, don't even know the band. So, mm. um, somebody came to us with the idea, and it seemed like a good enough idea, and we went it.
3: And do you, do you sell stuff like that on your merch stand at shows?
4: We pretty much will sell it to anyone that wants to buy it.
3: Right. Okay. Yeah? You know? Um, okay, let's uh let's have another
4: song, Keith. Why don't you play uh Bring It On Back off the new record?
1: Give me an hour, get up on that wheel, I'm rolling. the power I got the phone just give me an hour get up on that wheel I'm rolling
4: white line fever turn that
3: shit up okay welcome back to white line fever i think we're up to episode 83 i apologize for not doing one um during the test series but my computer died and uh it's in the it's getting fixed at the moment and you may never hear this but anyway <laughs> <laughs> um we're, we're in leeds and i'm with uh, phil and tony from scratching shed we've both been on individually before but never together is that correct that
6: is
0: true we're not normally seen in the same place together I think there's a law against it, it?
6: yes probably so yes but anyway we're sat in the pub and we're drinking nice beer nice Yorkshire beer we, are, and we also got the great the legendary
3: Chris Whitworth who um, started Rugby League Internet Radio
6: how are you um, I'm good thank you and
7: legendary sounds absolutely awesome um, <laughs> maybe I'll make a, an impact over the next uh,
3: 12 months we'll uh, see that's awesome and, then, and um, can you just tell because I, I think some of the listeners thanks to you 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 uh, Feature this program. Um, I don't think many people know about how you. How the hell do you set up a twenty-four hour rugby league station? I know this could go on forever. Give us a Reader's Digest version, but it's basically
7: a, a laptop, a PC, my phone, and a tablet. Um, mm. I've got all the microphones, mixers, and I bought some space on a server uh, in the UK, um, and we've set it up and it can run twenty-four hours a day, uh, unlimited listeners, unlimited gigabytes so I can put as much information on there, as many podcasts on there. So if you're interested and
3: you want to do a podcast, please join in, because uh, I do want to fill 24 hours a day. Um, tell me, um, how did you, like who's, what's currently on there? Sorry, guys, I'm sorry. Do you, what's currently on there? Um, we've got Wildline Fever, um, Super
7: League Pods, um, Love Rugby League, doing the final hooter. Um, I've got the guys from um, Devil Under the Detail there on there. Um, Ian Ramsdale does once when he can (laughs) I know he's a busy man Um, He's everywhere So he brings uh, some news from the south I've got a few people from Australia as well um, The good old down under We've got the Shark podcast Screaming Eagles They've come on Uh, There's a couple more looking Maybe coming through next season
3: Is there a new one Screaming Eagles is it?
7: Um, they've been going about 18 months. Oh, yeah. um, I got them sort of mid-season mm-hmm. um, and some of the content they put out is good. Um, mm-hmm. It does need a bit of a warning before, um, <laughs> but so sort of quite a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I think it's just like being stood on, uh, on the sidelines really. Um, you hear the language that you at at rugby. Um, so yeah, we do have to put um, a bit of an explicit content warning on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just growing. Hopefully, next year we've got a few more people interested. There will be a breakfast show coming on, and there is a drive time show which I'll be doing
3: myself, um, which will be live for ninety minutes. That's awesome! That's awesome. So, okay, fellas, um, let's talk a, a bit about um, this test series. Um, the New, New Zealand side was very under strength, yeah, uh, but a lot of positive publicity for for England and for Steve McNamara. How much do you read into it? How, how, how much admiration do you have for this, this result?
0: The important thing is England won. <laughs> that, that, no, that was the priority. Mm-hmm. That um, If New Zealand had won that series with six or seven top-line players not there, admittedly England had two or three that they couldn't call on as well. Mm-hmm. Perhaps wouldn't have chosen them anyway, but that's another issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the big two years are the ones coming up. Mm-hmm. The Four Nations next year and then into the World Cup. So I think England beating the first-ranked nation just has put Mm. International Rugby League up a place or two. You said there was a lot of publicity. There was a lot of publicity around people like Sam Burgess. Mm -hmm. And if we've missed an opportunity, it's at the end of this series we should immediately have announced the Four Nations details, the venues, um, tickets on sale. Sam likely to be back in England, possibly captaining the team. That's where Rugby League lets itself down. We've had a good series. We've had a couple of sell-out venues... We've had a decent series victory, and that's it now for rugby league.
3: Wouldn't that be the fault of whoever does pressure lessons for the RLEF? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's an RLEF competition. No,
0: that's, the, that's where the jurisdiction becomes the or, no, no, no. no, I think we'd, we're trying, aren't we? We're
3: trying. Tony, um, should uh, Steve McNamara keep his job?
6: I think so now, yeah. I think it would be a bit ridiculous for him to go at this point. Um, As Phil says, the the big thing about the series was that England had to win it. They had to turn that idea of the English team being a bunch of losers around. We've been saying for years that they're getting closer and closer and yet not had anything cast iron to prove for that. Um, do you know I don't think most people in the general public care much for all the mitigating factors of who's not playing you can only yeah. beat the team that's actually from yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they did that and they did it quite well really all mm. told it's a very defensive series obviously we hear the much repeated stat that not a single back scored a try mm. uh, but sometimes you've got to do that and I, I also think that in international sport generally not just in rugby league very often it's not about the performance it's about the result the actual I don't know I suppose you might call it patriotism thing matters more Mm, the mm, the country mm. actually wins is what people are most interested in Um, so to get back to your original question yeah, I think Steve McNamara has delivered that victory he had to do that if he'd have lost it would have been a different story but he didn't lose they won Um, and so yeah I'd basically leave him in situ for the next two years personally yeah
3: and Chris, how uh, nervous were you with the Kiwis attacking right up to the siren, really, in, in, uh, in Wigan? I'm always nervous when England play. <laughs> um, but this
7: year, I agree, the defence was awesome. Um, and that's what, in the end, won the games. Um, Steve McNamara, I think he's done a fantastic job. He's pulled some great players together. Um, the experience he's probably gained working in Australia. He's brought that back with him, as well as the players that have played over there as well. Um, they've also got some inside knowledge you know, when they're playing against people like Isaac Luke you're playing at top level week in week out mm. and we, I think we should have won three basically mm-hmm. I think the second one I don't know what happened but I was hoping it was going to be 3-0 mm. um, but 2-1 will do anybody You know, and if if you can just win by being boring as everybody's saying then Little World Cup by being boring.
6: <laughs> and people forget also that he's actually at the Roosters. I mean, the Roosters are not some nomad club, either they're probably the most entertaining side in the NRL, which is saying something. I think Canberra. I'm Canberra. <laughs> I'm not
0: sure. I think Steve McNamara has saved his job. Mm-hmm. I think there, there was a feeling, particularly even around the second test, that the public was starting to turn against this non-style of rugby. Mm. It's effective but there's still the feeling that if Australia bring a first choice team and New Zealand bring a first choice team you've got to have more than what we've got at the moment and that he is a little bit overly loyal to certain players Mm -hmm. and he's very structured You know, the hooker has to come off after 20 minutes no matter how well he's playing or what the shape of the game all four substitutes have to be used by the 28th minute probably in a double substitution somewhere it is so fixated as if it was an NRL game that actually sometimes you lose what the essence of you're about I mean, the big debate for me was should he have picked Adam Cuthbertson
5: because
0: mm-hmm. he was the standout player this year in taking the game forward by returning yeah. it back 30 years mm. but what he had was an offload game that he's you know that and
3: should New Zealand have picked
0: Benji Marshall there's another one yeah. uh, I probably haven't seen enough of Benji Marshall to comment <laughs> on that but but I just think if they'd picked Cuthbertson it would have they would have had somebody on the bench it, who could have done something different Um, you would then maybe look at your half-back parents and pick somebody who's a little bit more of a support player. I think Mm. England are innately conservative under Steve Matamar and I'm not sure that's enough to win a World Cup. You know, this is an interesting point though is that do
3: representative coaches, particularly test coaches owe us more than club coaches in explaining their selections because you know, like Benji Marshall and I'm a great admirer of Steve Kearney and then intellectually you go well if you're a sporting uh, coach and you're successful, then that's all that matters, okay, but um, Benji Marshall was on the second rung of voting in the Dally M's, he was available he wanted to play, they had no halves, he didn't come equally, Adam Cuthbertson won the Rugby League Writers Association Player of the Year, was available for selection and like Benji Marshall was considered, but wasn't picked for reasons which no one cares to share with us And and the big question is do these guys owe us more accountability and transparency with their selections, or don't they? Do do we only care if they
6: win? And if they win, they don't need to tell us anything. I mean, what what do you think? I think the latter I think if they're winning games and they're winning games but I think that what um, Steve Kane is probably thinking about is not so much this series I mean he obviously wanted to win the mm-hmm. series but if he's looking ahead he's thinking that he wants New Zealand to win the World Cup that's what mm-hmm. he's thinking of even my next year so what he's actually done in this series is he's given a, a couple of young halfbacks, at least uh, some real experience of what it's like to play at this level and, and whilst I don't, I think if, if Benji Marshall and Sean Johnson for that matter are fit then you're going to have them in the front line aren't you but a strong side it has to have a strong squad, and I think Stephen Caney realises that. So I actually think the Kiwis will have gone back not too upset, really. Yeah. Um, I, I think they'll be looking forward and thinking, you know, it's mission accomplished in a lot of ways. But as a journalist, I mean, I think it's your job to try to
3: introduce some um, transparency into team selection, one of many little duties that you have. So, you know, I understand from Stephen's point of view, it's like, oh, if I'd won, no-one would have asked me about Benji and Marshall, and that's true. Yeah. But nevertheless you know like and because England won no one's saying why didn't Adam, Adam Cuthbertson um, play but when he was awarded that um, rugby League writers award he said well maybe the style of play you, uh, if you're at the dinner he said maybe I didn't suit the style of play and, and that's the style of play that you described Phil you know
0: I think, this, I think the other thing that <laughs> I find odd and, and it goes a little bit back to maybe the crowd atmosphere at a couple of the games that we bought into the fact that we all wanted England to win but because the selection wasn't desperately exciting and it And again, there weren't any changes in the team for the second test. It was very, very hard to get the crowd animated. Mm -hmm. But I I, I just don't see the point of calling somebody like, say, Luke Gale into the squad and not using Mm him. I mean, this is the ideal year, as Tony was saying, about trying people out. If you're going to select someone, why don't we just have a look if they're any good or not? Mm -hmm. And that when you win the first test, that gives you license in the second one to perhaps experiment. Mm. Now, Steve McNamara may say, no, I want to win in, in two games, so I'm going to pick my selection from last week and hope it improves. But I just don't see the point of picking a couple of exciting players. We waited till the, the third test for Jermaine McGilvery, mm. and all the Kiwis wanted to talk about afterwards was how good was this bloke? And yeah, yeah. we kept him in Cottonwood for two long.
3: Yeah. That- well, well uh, that's the contradiction, isn't it? Because on one hand, if you're picking Luke Gale as a reward for his club form, then you pick Adam Cuthbertson, or else... You don't, you know, like, like you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting, and the other, the other thing is, like, if you're a national coach, should you not have to deal with all personality types, yep. you know, you, is, is your job really to create a culture, an off-field culture, or is it actually just to pick the best players and get the most out of them, you know?
0: I think there's one other thing you've got to be as a national coach, and I'm not sure England have quite got that yet, is I think you've got to be a proven winner, mm and and I, I understand all this about getting people together and taking them down to St George's and bonding exercise but the season over here is a quarter longer than it is in the Southern Hemisphere so I'm not sure you need to do too many bonding exercises fitness work yeah you need to be at a certain level I think at national level it's about motivating giving people reasons to win Mm. and the people that can do that the best even with the greatest respect to Steve McNamara are coaches who have been winners Mm. and we consistently overlook them in this country he's a very very good assistant coach Mm. Um, I just think that uh, now we're at a level whereby because the season is so long over here you need people that can purely motivate you don't need people that can put in too much structure Mm. so you're looking at Perhaps a, like a Brian McDermott, but he isn't going to be taken on by the RFL. He's the, he's the Brian Clough of Rugby League, as, as he was to the Football Association. A little bit like Tony Smith was when he arrived, full of ideas about how he's going to change Rugby League from the inside and wasn't supposedly allowed to do so. But you can look at people like Andy Farrell, who I suspect will be coming on the market soon. Sean Edwards has said he wouldn't be averse to coming back to Rugby League. Um, and possibly even Wayne Bennett in a consultancy capacity.
6: Has he got some inside
3: information
0: there? Or? No, 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 no that's, that's what I do if you seriously, seriously want to win the World Cup. I yeah.
6: think Phil's think just annoyed because Ryan Hall didn't get a pass-all series. I <laughs> think <laughs> Ryan Hall was annoyed he didn't get a pass yeah. <laughs> I, I sort of admire Stephen Keane, with Benji Marshall thing, because what, what he's actually done is he's put the, the, um, the nation, the team, oh. whatever you want to call it, above the individual, which mm-hmm. I think when you're doing an international side, when you're in charge of an international team, I think that's very important. I think everybody, no, no individual, can be bigger than the country, and mm. I think that's a, another message that he was laying down, really, to say to Benji: Well, you're going to play in this side, you're going to be part of the side. I'm sure. That's- yeah, but
3: shouldn't don't we deserve to be told that Adam Cuthbertson wasn't picked because he's an Aussie, and Benji Marshall wasn't picked because he sulked when he lost the captaincy? Don't 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 the fans. Like Particularly when you're a national coach, all those volunteers who're working at the canteen every Saturday morning, but don't they deserve to know why players are being picked and not being picked? What do you think?
7: I think, yeah, they should. Um, I mean, in other sports, coaches get scrutinised down to how many hours sleep they've had, what they're doing, where they've been, <laughs> um, but we seem to not actually pinpoint them down. Um, going back to who could take over if Steve McNamara disappeared... Um, I don't see any reason why people like Andy Farrell, Sean Edwards, who have just worked in the international scene, mm-hmm. um, they're used to just working with players on the short term. Um, if you brought them into the fold, and should one person just be involved? Should we just have Steve McNamara, or can't we have two or three different people?
3: Well, he has, he has got a fair, b- fairly big staff. Yeah, but he's not brought... If you,
7: if you look at Sean Edwards and uh, Andy Farrell... They just work with an international team. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Andy Farrell's done uh, club rugby union, and, but um, you know, recently their job has just been: let's get an international team great. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and why can't we do that? I'm not. I'm not talking about criticising a coach for not picking no. someone. Just asking them.
6: I think that's I all think, I'm saying. Um, give us
3: an answer. Tell us why. Maybe, you know,
6: maybe not Mike Ford. We don't. We don't <laughs> but, but, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, just as Ranel added, Chris, I think that it's not so much that they need to be telling us, although it would be nice if they did. I agree. Uh, it's the onus is on journalists to actually find this stuff out and to, and mm-hmm. to take the time and, and the interest to actually dig a bit beneath the press releases. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Um, I don't know you, you don't want to bite your colleagues and all that but, but I honestly think that in this game we are, we're too timid when it comes mm. to actually putting people on the spot in high places mm. uh, we need to be asking those questions and digging around and getting to the facts mm. at the moment I think we're, we're just a bit too keen in this country Not I won't make the claim for Australia but in this country we're too happy to just regurgitate press releases and that's not journalism frankly mm. what you need to be doing is getting beneath the surface making people accountable and asking the awkward questions we don't do
3: that enough so Alex Simmons called us in the middle of this uh, segment, and we thought we lost the entire interview, but we didn't, so uh, he won't be on the program. It might be next month. So uh, thanks for joining us guys. I've got a uh, WLF podcast on Twitter, wildlifelifeever.ning.com on uh, that's the website, and also uh, donate, hit do- com and hit the donate button, and don't hit the Amazon button because um, they canceled my account, so I won't get anything. <laughs> I've got to change that link. Um, OK, guys, thank you very much. What, uh, the end of the season. So what, do, what are your... We'll, we'll, go around, we'll go around the table. Your, your hopes for 2016 for, for Rugby
0: League. My only hope is that there is a shorter season in the Northern Hemisphere and an international window
6: put in, in its place. Good luck with that. <laughs> yes. I don't think it's that's going to happen it's nearly Christmas <laughs> <I think laughs> my hope is, Well, we need, we need uh, to, to follow up this new era which hasn't gone too badly but it's not quite lived up to its expectations so we want to build on that and, and, and really deliver but the big thing is a successful Four Nations at the end of it that's huge Chris
7: yes I agree successful Four Nations um, more publicity um, for all leagues um, like successful Four Nations for Scotland or yeah <laughs> <laughs> How can we ever say that um, that's not going to happen is it really um, unless suddenly they find 13 players that have got the grandma more. that have um, yeah. once visited Edinburgh <laughs> um, McDonald's once. yeah went McDonald's. McDonald's in Edinburgh um, but also yeah just success for all the leagues really um, we have to look at the championship and league one as well um, which is something I'm going to be doing next year
3: Okay, welcome back to the program, and it is the third and final part of our interview uh, with Marcus from Halloween. Marcus, one of the songs on the um, on on the, on the new album, uh, um, "My God Given Right," is uh, "Stay Crazy." I just wondered um, um, if if touring is very different now than it was in the mid '80s. You guys, are you a bit more disciplined now, or do you still kind of like to have a bit of fun?
8: Well, touring is like, well, we were younger and a little wilder, of course. You know, you could take more shit that's been around and that's been offered, you know. And <laughs> the next day, you, you'll you be, you shake your head and you're back on, to, on the track again. That changed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I need two days to recover today. <laughs> that changes a little. But, you know, I'm still having fun. I'm still hanging out with people, drinking a couple of beer and just and schnapps here and there. And it's it's just like not as often anymore and not as... Intense anymore, you know, because yeah. your body of course tells you not to do it too too often and too too heavy, you know, but apart from that it 's actually kind of the same thing going on you know yeah. I mean in the eighties there was like when when hard rock and heavy metal was very very like popular even in the radio, even on the air and, and that was of course different but but too, because everybody so much more, so much more people were like. Uh, getting you into radio stations and all that, but in Europe, almost almost no no radio station plays metal anymore. You know that's very very different. But hanging out at shows, doing the show, especially the the show it, itself, it it stays the same. It's like the same uh, from what it was like 30 years ago. The emotion, that very moment on stage, bringing something across. Prof- some emotions, you know. That's pretty much the same and I like that.
3: Mm -hmm. You're not on uh, Sony anymore. You're on Nuclear Blast. Does that uh, speak to... Any wider issue as far as uh, a Sony losing interest in in heavy metal? Is it uh? Is it just? A, is it
8: just? A- mm, it was more like the working with Sony was great. It was not a matter of they did a bad job or something. It's just it was all okay. We 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 were coming along very well. So it was just a matter of the contract ran out and we were mm-hmm. free to. Either do another contract with Sony, or just do something very different, you know. Mm-hmm. And we we this and as the, the the guys from Nuclear Blast were hanging around Halloween all the time, asking what you going to do next and uh, and showing interest all the time. We were like, all right, this contract is over, and why not going back home, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So although there there was no bad words with Sony, it was just like a. Uh, 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 the contract was running out and we're thinking, all right, let's try this again. I mean, and now we have the feeling it was the best move we could make, you know, yeah, feeling it's... like coming home again.
3: Yeah. There, there's been some reports that you're going to do a book for the 30th anniversary. Can you tell us anything about that? What's like,
8: Harry Vosie, let's have a beer.
3: <laughs> 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 Sorry, um, is it true you're going to do a book for your 30th anniversary?
8: Hmm. We have tons of materials, pictures, and all that kind of stories behind it, and all that. It's, 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 yeah, it's like a handbook for like real collectors, I would say. Mm. You know, it's not like a history thing of, of of with all that stories behind it. It's just more like uh, full of collectors' items and pictures and all that. You know. It's a little hello and the collection of things we were putting together and writing some stuff about it and, you know, that kind of big book, anniversary book that's going to be coming out in autumn something.
3: Awesome. Awesome. It won't be available on your Australian tour? Will you be selling it at the merch table?
8: I don't know. I don't know yet. We were busy with uh, writing.
3: All right. (laughs) Okay. I just want to ask you one more thing, Marcus. Marcus. in 1985
8: or 86, merch store or maybe it's in the shop. Are you
3: I don't there? Have any
8: idea? Are you?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say in 1985, the, the, your music seemed quite extreme. You know, it was uh, it, it was very different to other stuff that was around. What do you think of the direction? Now it sounds, I suppose, it's quite. It, it sounds almost classic rock now, doesn't it? I mean what what do you what what do you make of the direction that heavy metal has taken in that time now you've got the sort of growly vocals and the you know really really i mean you know what are you into sort of um some of that more extreme metal
8: well, sometimes I like a good Slayer tune. Of course, it's, it helps. It helps a lot to 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 go to this kind of music when you feel like it. You know, but then there's a lot of it, and uh, I only pick some what I like. Soilwork, Figure Number Five, of course, is what you know. One of my favorite albums. You know, mm-hmm. which is a nice cross it's between like classical heavy metal with keyboards, twin solos, very. Smooth harmonies uh, on vocals sometimes, but then they growl around and do that very, very rough kind of heavy metal and all that. Yeah. You know, that is a kind of mixture I kind of like. You know, yeah. but it's got to be like done very, very nice and clever. So it, it, so it's touching me. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. there's a lot of stuff sounding the same, of course. And, and if you listen to that, this some stuff, you think, oh, that sounds like this, and uh, you, uh, it's always like the orig- origin- originality about it, you know, like that Soulwork Figure number 5, I guess, is one of the greatest yeah. albums in that manner.
3: We are out <laughs> of time. Thanks for uh, joining us. Um, just one, one, right. more, one more song would be uh, wonderful, thanks.
8: All right. Oh, you want me to pick one?
3: Yes, please.
8: <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, uh yeah did you uh do some yeah what what are you gonna have play some play some swing of the fallen world why not i like that one okay a bit of dark stuff yeah. This is Marcus, the bass beaters from Halloween, and you're listening to White Line Fever, and stay tuned. I like
3: it. OK, welcome back to the program, and uh, we've got every single member of the Angels now. Uh, it's like collecting footy cards. Uh, <laughs> I've got Sam Bruce here, Sam. Um, what, what's the last week or so been like for you? Yeah, pretty incredible. Couldn't have never been to Europe or or the
9: UK before is it is it UK and Europe or are they all in
3: Europe? UK is part of Europe but, yeah. but people still say that
9: yeah 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 yeah. so yeah it's been, <laughs> pretty exciting yeah. especially London we've got a few days to walk around London um, and yeah see you know all the iconic things like the uh, Tower Bridge and uh, the Tower of London and all that and Soho mm. so yeah it's been great
3: now a lot of blokes your age, they'd be excited to go overseas on a on a um, tour, a rock and roll tour with all their expenses paid, but then oh, dad's coming. <laughs> is that is that uh, been a bit of a downer? <laughs>
9: <laughs> no, no, he's been pretty well behaved, mostly. But, yeah, no, he's, he's all right. Does
3: a band, when you're on, do you split into, like, you know, you you and Nick and Dave sort of sneak out after curfew and play up? Is that the way it works? Or?
9: Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. when he goes to bed or, like, you know, they decide we're going to, in London, take a really long walk, so, he, you know, he sort of drops off halfway and... <laughs> Yeah,
3: yeah, mate. What's it like to you? Have you been checking out the faces of the audiences? Because that's, i imagine, one of the great pleasures of doing something like this.
9: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah they've been fantastic. I mean, especially uh, well, both both the uh, London gig and and Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's pretty incredible. In Paris, they were actually singing along with Rick's uh,
3: guitar yeah, parts. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. And mate, um, what happens when you when you go home and it's just back to normal life? Is it going to be a bit hard to adjust? To? <laughs> Well, I've got another
9: three weeks here actually. All oh, right. Uh, I'm having a holiday here with my partner Lara, so I've got three weeks, and then I've got actually I'm actually moving house when I get home, so I've got, got that
3: to look forward. That'll bring you back to it. How do you feel about maybe the band coming over here more often? Is that a good thing or? Oh,
9: I'd love, I love yeah. for that to happen. there's, there's been talk of it, um, especially in uh, uh, with the promoter in France. So yeah, hopefully we can organise that. There's some talk of Hellfest. And then booking a tour around that. So,
3: yeah. Well, Sam, I've never actually interviewed you before. i have had a couple of beers, but I've never yeah. interviewed you before. So, um, go and enjoy the rest of the night. Sneak out again. Tonight's a good night to yeah. sneak out. Yeah.
9: <laughs> I will actually. Yeah. I mean, the darkness are on about midnight. Uh, I don't know if they will be able to top the sugar last night. I mean, that was like, unbelievable.
3: You know what? I'm not doing any of this. So, give us a give us a song. Of someone you've seen here at the um, festival that you think people should hear. Uh, Bleed
9: by my sugar. Okay. If awesome. you like heavy metal. Well, if you if you don't <laughs> like heavy metal, you're not listening to the program. <laughs>
5: white
1: line fever going to land down under going to turn around the corner way down yonder (laughs) and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore (laughs) Michael Monroe here for white line fever and dig you get a chance come and check us out live we're gonna rock your socks off and whatever rock like fuck that's what I say okay (laughs) come on down
4: and rock on